This is Margaret Copeman Frankowitz with another episode of Diabetic Survival Season 2. Okay, so I actually took a break for a little while because I was moving to the East Coast. I was going to try to reestablish myself out here. And it's been a little bit of a challenge. It's been a little bit different than I thought I would actually... Um, what I actually perceived would actually happen, I guess you could say. So, I think that after the humidity of the East Coast, I may actually end up making my way back to the West Coast eventually. But it has been interesting. I think one of the things I missed most was actually being able to record my regular podcasts while I've been busy with life and all of its many changes and its little wheel of fortune where you can make or break yourself. So one of the topics that I actually wanted to go over a little bit was, of course, Dr. Stein Eckberg. He's one of my favorite, one of many favorites that I actually have on YouTube. Dr. Eckberg, I go over some of his old programs all the time, and the one that actually came up, which drew my interest, because of course it, it's uh, something that I deal with as well, and many others, probably being about 50% of those over 30 or so, is high blood pressure. And so he seems to have not only a lot of the answers on diabetes and other things, um, and he, of course, highly promotes the keto diet, but he also goes over high blood pressure, which is my concern as well. Now, of course, controlling your blood pressure is very important. Um, I don't think necessarily uh, to control it for heart attacks, but, of course, Dr. Stein Eckberg had mentioned that you want to actually control your high blood pressure because of, of things like strokes. I mean, you don't want to have a stroke in the future. And so, of course, uh, keeping your blood pressure at the point where it's supposed to be is quite challenging at times. So some of the things that he was actually going over, um, and of course I didn't dive right into it, but I really should, and I will, actually, in the future. But um, he has, because he's a holistic doctor, he does things a little bit differently. Like, for instance, he'll talk about modern medicine. Now, now he, he really is a pretty good doctor, so that's one of the reasons why I listen to him. But he is holistic, so he's going to turn to natural methods over using medication. And, of course, I use a medication to actually control my high blood pressure because, hey, it works for the most part but um he actually believes in more of a natural way of doing it such as breathing exercises so i haven't really dived too much into this and of course i'm going to because of course my heart is important um of course he goes more into the medical terms than what i'm going to so if you want a good read on youtube actually a good video i should say is Go ahead and type in Dr. Stein Eckberg and listen to hit one of his articles on high blood pressure. One of the things that's really interesting is 
what he says that high blood pressure actually affects in kind of a negative way. And that is uh, the left ventricle of the heart actually has to pump harder when you have high blood pressure. And one of the things that actually happens, the repercussions of that is an enlarged heart, which is not necessarily a good thing, obviously, because you have more blood pump pumping through so your heart gets bigger. But also the ventricle actually starts to gain, I believe what he said is kind of like a, a buildup or a type of scar tissue, a type of scar tissue, excuse me. So uh, your left ventricle actually gets a little bit thicker and that's not good because the blood cannot flow right through the system. So, and of course, uh, he, he mentioned something that I just kind of had to like, uh, just ignore just a tad bit because, you know, he, he actually said that um, smoking was evil and okay, yeah, he's right. So, um, but he explained in a little bit detail why smoking is so evil. And now I'm actually starting to reconsider the whole smoking thing. Because I know smoking's not right either. Um, smoking is something that you, that you do. It's one of those pleasure things. Uh, kind of like drinking coffee. I would have compared it to drinking coffee. A lot of smokers, as a matter of fact, drink coffee as well. But And I know Ekberg is Dr. Ekberg is a coffee drinker. And lots of people out there are. I know I'm a coffee drinker as well. On occasion, I don't have it every morning, but I will tell you what, if I could have it every morning, I probably would. At least a cup a day, maybe two. Um, but there are times that I go without drinking coffee because I'm just not thinking about it. So it's just not programmed in my brain to drink every day. It's something that I drink all the time in the wintertime and some of the time in the summertime, but really, I mean especially with the humidity out right now, I just don't want a cup of coffee, which is understandable. But okay, listening to smart guys like Dr. Stein Eckberg, um, I, I really admire the, uh, I really admire his intelligence and the way that he actually comes across because he's so gentle with the way that he does it. How could you not like Dr. Stein Eckberg? Unless, of course, you don't understand a thing he's saying, but he makes everything so easy to understand that you just want to sit there and listen to him. It's a little bit dry and boring, though, because, you know, doctors, you know, they talk a lot. But what they have to say is very important. So, you know, it's it's like one of those scenes where you tune in, you may tune in a little bit, and then you listen again. Sometimes you have to listen to several episodes. If I want to actually get a pretty good, clear picture of Dr. Stein Eckberg in his episode, I may watch it two, three, four times if I'm really into it. Usually that's with the diabetes, the blood pressure, not so much, but it's just as important. So, okay, so when I'm not oogling with my eyeballs, Dr. Steinberg, and amazed by his brilliance and his uh, ultra physical performance in his decathlon type self, uh, then I'm actually listening to what he has to say on the doctor's end. So, I mean, he, he kind of has the whole picture, the whole shebang, which is the reason why I love listening to Dr. Steineckberg. So yeah, I sound a little bit repetitive. That's part of my personality. But anyways, okay, so I was a little bit concerned about the high blood pressure thing because there's, there's questions that I actually have. Um, 
which actually is what keeps me going with these podcasts, is I have questions, I want answers to them, and then I, then when I learn about them, of course, then I got to say something on, you know, the podcast, just because I think that there's others, multiple other people that can actually benefit from the information that I'm actually listening to. So that's the reason why I'm putting it out there. And, okay, so back to the high blood pressure thing. So this is a relatively new topic I'm exploring, but this has to do with diabetes too. Like, for instance, 11 years ago, when it was determined that I had diabetes, well, pre-diabetes, I guess you can say, one of the factors that I actually had before I had the diabetes was it was determined the year before that I had high blood pressure. So this is where I start thinking, what came first, the egg or the chicken? So did I always have, for instance, the prediabetes? Because that was determined the year later. Or was it just a precursor? Or was the diabetes first, which was a precursor to the height? Or to the diabetes. I mean, so which came first, the high blood pressure or the diabetes? I'm not quite sure, but the first determination they made was that I believe it was when I was actually diagnosed with high blood pressure. It was also found that I needed to get my blood sugar checked because my blood sugar seemed a little bit high. It wasn't really too bad. It's like maybe 120, but still that's kind of high. You know, that's definitely pre-diabetes and almost going into full-blooded diabetes. And it was determined a year later that I actually did have full-blown pre-diabetes, if you can call it that. I don't know if it'd be like full-blown diabetes. I don't know if full-blown pre-diabetes qualifies, but they did see that I actually had a problem. Okay, one of the typical reactions that I get, or that I went through, is it's very dramatic. And what I mean by that is nobody wants to hear from their doctor, oh, by the way, you need to change your diet. You have pre-diabetes. If you don't do something about this, you're going to be a diabetic. But the truth is, is if you're pre-diabetic, it's, it's bound to happen. You're going to have diabetes, okay? But you can put this off for like a decade before you actually have to worry about the diabetes and then when you do have the diabetes you find out it's not so bad anyways as long as you actually are on a proper diet such as keto and if you're controlling your carbs and stuff you don't really have a lot to worry about so i'm saying this after a, a decade of actually having diabetes well the pre-diabetes and then the diabetes and realizing that with a correct diet is not really a big deal i mean you do have some episodes where you really start to wonder about your health and stuff but when you bounce back, and if you're doing the right thing, you'll bounce back stronger and healthier than you've ever been. So I guess I got to talk about the smoking because I already talked about the smoking. So Dr. Stein Eckberg did mention, and I mean, this is something you pay attention to if you have high blood pressure, is the fact that if you're a smoker... And I'm glad he explained this because I didn't even know this up until last night. Was that the it actually affects your blood cells or ones carrying oxygen throughout your body. 
and you lose about 20% of your oxygen capacity when you're a smoker. And so, of course, um, this affects your whole body. And so if you're already uh, oxygen starved anyways, I mean, you really should not be smoking uh, because of this reason, because it's actually handicapping you by about 20%. Now, from what I understand about red blood cells, is that your body's constantly replacing those every three months. So they have a life cycle of 90 days. They go through their little rigmarole through your body, and they die off, but new blood cells are actually being produced. So, you know, you quit smoking, you're pretty much going to have a new system within three months anyways. So that's the good news. If you decide to quit, then you can actually up your oxygen, you know, according to theory anyways, up your oxygen productivity by about 20%. So if you're not feeling well or if you're having problems with circulation and you're a smoker, you know, you might want to think about putting that cigarette out. So there's actually uh, intelligent reasons to quit smoking if you, you are a smoker. And if you haven't smoked, then it's probably not a good idea to smoke if you have circulatory problems already. Um, because if you do have that sensitivity where oxygen is getting to certain parts of the body... Of course, you don't want to make it worse on yourself. So, of course, this just... One of the, the things about questions is I have a question, I ask a question on YouTube, and then all of a sudden I got like a gazillion other questions that I need to ask. Like, for instance, uh, when it comes to smoking, how much better off would you be as a diabetic if you're a smoker if you actually quit and, like... Could you actually, I don't know, cure some circulatory problems you might have, such as, um, like, for instance, if your feet, for instance, if you lose feeling to your feet, if you quit smoking, is that going to improve your chances of having better circulation to your feet? You know, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer at this point. And, of course, if, if you're not suffering from these issues, and I guess you don't have to worry about them, but... It's something to consider everything that you do and how it may actually change um, the way that you do things, right? So I'm a big believer in change-ups because not everything is perfect, such as the keto diet, even though there's like a tremendous amount of benefits to watching your carbs it's not always practical in every instance either. So, for instance, what may work for six months may change. Just because your body's smart, your body regulates itself. It's constantly updating and changing things. So sometimes you have to change things in order to actually get the desired results. And what I mean by that is if you're having... If, if you're feeling a little bit blah and you've been on the keto diet for a while, I mean, I don't see anybody being blah on the keto diet because it's a great diet, but, but let's say you are maybe changing it up and going back to carbs and seeing how you feel and that for a while and then going back to the keto diet. Yes, indeed, I am still a big promoter of the keto diet. I don't know if that will ever change, but for now... I think that it is absolutely the most natural diet, at least for me, 
and four others that I've seen in a long time. So, um, one of the big themes that I have seen uh, consistently over the past year in America is the promotion of the keto diet. And I mean, it's, it's actually wildly popular. I'm actually getting quite a few recipes uh, just through my social media. And the latest and greatest was actually a really good, and you can actually Google this, uh, a keto margarita recipe that I just thought was just absolutely bomb. And occasionally I do like my margaritas. So um, I haven't had one in a very long time. But when I do have my next one, which may be a year from now, who knows, then I will actually try the keto recipe because it does slash the carbs and it does actually uh, switch up the taste a little bit. Like, for instance, uh, margaritas usually have like this very sweet mixture to them, which, of course, is not all that great for diabetics. I mean, it wasn't bad. I was looking at the carb carb count for a regular margarita, and I think they said it was like 17 carbs or something, which isn't bad. I mean, it's not horrible. I mean, if you have it like once a year or something like that, you know, not bad. But there are recipes where you can actually make it a tad bit more keto-friendly. Somebody actually looked into that, so I thought that was kind of cool. Basically, what they used is a sweetener inside their alcoholic beverage of choice. And uh, for that, they were able to actually make a makeshift margarita. So just Google that and you should be fine. And of course, I'd like margaritas, you know, names, Margaret, margarita, Spanish for Margaret. Of course, I like it. It's just perfect. So anyways, I'm sure that there's other drinks that you may prefer that you can actually make a tad bit more diabetic friendly. Doesn't mean you should up your alcohol content by any means, but, you know, to each their own. So another hot topic I actually wanted to talk about with diabetics, what we have to go through, is um, the whole carb theme. Because, you know, people just don't get it. You know, you tell people that, you know, you're into this keto diet. And really, if you don't have a strong personality or a strong grasp on your friendship, people want to feed you carbs. I mean, it's just going to happen. I I don't know why. I think it's an unconscious thing, or maybe it's a conscious thing that they're trying to kill you, but I don't know. But, um, I don't try to promote my keto lifestyle and other people who may not even need it. Um, I think it's personally a better diet, but you know, to each their own, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that sometimes people don't get it. They want to feed you for some reason. And what they're feeding you is a bunch of carbs. And you're kind of looking at them like, like, I have to second guess people. Like, are they trying to kill me or are they just being ignorant? Or is it a little bit of both? You know, um, I'm not sure if people get it or not. I mean, the whole reason why I'm a diabetic in the first place is because my body is not really tolerant towards carbs anymore. So I have to actually limit them in order to survive. And maybe people don't understand 
that I don't need to be eating a lot of carbs. So, um, sometimes like what my grandmother would say is alone is better than poor company. So if they're going to be feeding you carbs all the time, they may not be interested in your friendship. And that's fine because maybe they weren't friendly people anyways. But I really like the way that, for instance, uh, keto seems to be growing in popularity. People are starting to embrace it more. They seem to like to eat better foods. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So a lot of the keto-friendly foods out there are not only great for you, but they're great for other people as well. Um, however, some people may see it a little bit differently, a little bit more. I, I think it's because of the way that our society was trained was we were supposed to eat more carbs because it's better for you, because you, you can eat more. And maybe that's not the point, though. Maybe the point is to eat less. And when you're eating keto, you're more satisfied. And when you're more satisfied, you don't need to eat a lot of the garbage that they actually have out there. And it really makes you rethink the choices of food. For instance, you know, eating scrambled eggs and bacon over eating toast and eggs and, you know, like the regular breakfast that you normally would have with, with the toast. Um, you can always switch that out for something a little bit more keto friendly and a little bit more satisfying. So I call this quality over quantity. And of course, when you eat less and you feel more full, then of course, uh, the, the quality of what you're eating actually goes up. And I had a perfect example of this years and years and years ago, 20 years ago or so, when I actually had a seven course meal. And though that does seem like a lot of food, it wasn't because what was on the plate was just a little minimal bit of food. And it was beautifully displayed. And of course, uh, the appeal of actually having a beautiful course put in front of you is a, a beautiful thing within itself. But these little small portions that they actually had, uh, it made sense to actually have a seven course meal. And it was very filling, even though it wasn't a lot of food. So, you know, the irony of a seven-course meal, you think that you'd be stuffed. But in essence, you are. It's just on less food. It's more dense food. It's more quality-type food. And that's where, where the awesomeness of it begins and ends. But I regress. I'm kind of going all over the place. But Dr. Eckberg... Um, now, of course, high blood pressure is kind of interesting because from what I gather so far, 50% of the high blood pressure cases, which half of the population has high blood pressure, by the way, but 50% of it is unexplainable. And so it's this portion that kind of concerns me because... I have been actually sent to the emergency room in the past because my high blood pressure was out of control. It was just way up there. There was not really an explanation. Well, I hadn't been on my medication, but um, I may have had like an allergic reaction that caused my blood pressure to actually spike, which is why I was in the hospital because I haven't had high blood pressure like that since. But there was something, and it was really weird because I could not pinpoint 
what in the world I ate differently to actually make my blood pressure skyrocket the way that it did. And it was really crazy. It had jumped up to like 180 over uh, 110 or something crazy like that. And they had tested my blood sugar when I was in the hospital. And it was about average for me. So it was not my diabetes actually spiking my blood pressure. But then there's other concerns as well. For instance, uh, kidney disease will actually spike your blood pressure from what I understand. But they had done tests on my kidneys and that was not the cause. As a matter of fact, my kidneys were functional, functioning normally from what they could tell. So this was the spike of unknown origin when I had gone to the hospital. And of course, you go to the hospital, you want to get answers on everything. And so, you know, they had my heart plugged up to all these machines and stuff like that. And I, I eventually, after sitting there for an hour and a half with all, the, all the, these machines plugged up to me, I'm here looking at my beats per minute and everything. And I hadn't seen anybody in the hospital for, you know, over an hour. So I believe I unplugged everything and I walked out of the hospital because... There wasn't really an answer. I was looking at the monitor. I didn't really see anything weird. There were no heart palpations or anything out of the ordinary, besides the fact that my blood pressure was just jumping up really fast. So it might have been a, maybe a caffeine incident where, where I was suddenly sensitive to caffeine, or it may have been um, a different substance, maybe something that I ate, but I couldn't pinpoint it. All I know is it's been a couple of years now, and I haven't experienced that since. So, blood pressure is a mystery. For some of us, other people's, you know, are spiked by too much sodium content. But if you really listen to Dr. Stein Eckberg, um, he does not believe that salt is a negative force with the whole blood pressure problem and so I find that kind of interesting because of course as I go along in life um, I have to constantly reevaluate uh, regage and rethink some of the things that that I've been told about certain things such as high blood pressure and it's one of the things that he challenges and that he says that salt isn't necessarily the enemy. Well, the medications that you actually get for the high blood pressure actually counter the salt. But they do tell you to, you know, eat your normal way of eating so that the um, medications can work properly. So they don't actually recommend, for instance, that... Uh, you eat out of the ordinary like you try to refuse salt and stuff because salt is important in the diet just not too much so I think they said something about um for my body type it was like 1600 milligrams of salt no more than that and of course uh two of the ingredients that you really have to watch in your food is sodium and sugar so I do watch it to a point but Dr. Eckberg said that it's not really a consideration. Salt's important to the body, and I, I can't really tell you why. I just know that it is. So that's what makes it kind of interesting as well, is because why is salt important to the body, and why are people 
actually saying it's not necessarily as bad as the doctors say it is. So I just don't go out of my way to get salty food. I'm trying to avoid it. Um, one of the biggest perpetrators of salt, well, one of the biggest perpetrators ways of sneakiness is the fact that they put um, salt in a lot of soups so to bring out the flavor and so you can easily have your daily fill of salt uh, with a can of soup so of course any homemade versions of soup are probably better than store-bought progresso sorry progresso there i said it so um one of the challenges that i have and something that i'm constantly pursuing is uh, the chicken and the egg theory. What came first, the high blood pressure or the the, the diabetes, the prediabetes? Which caused which to happen, if, if anything, or are they two totally different separate entities? So the doctors have told me that my blood pressure is pretty much unknown why my system actually wants to produce high blood pressure, why that occurs on occasion, because, I mean, my numbers will be all over the place on occasion, but, I mean, it stays pretty consistent. It was consistent enough to where I can't work as a truck driver anymore without medication, so it's something where I definitely have to take medications for my, my high blood sugar and for my, for so the high blood sugar and for the high blood pressure. And so, of course, I love a good mystery anyways. So, of course, I'm going to be pursuing this just like the same way that I've actually pursued diabetes and found some of the answers to that that I needed. And it's kind of interesting because now I get to combine diabetes with high blood pressure and try to find the answer to both of these questions. So, um, my body's feeling pretty good, though. So, I mean... It has felt pretty good for a while. I mean, sometimes I forget, and it's easy to forget even after a decade, that you even have these issues. And you kind of look at your pills like, oh my gosh, i got to take my pills again. Um, and of course, I want to try to go natural. But at the same time, I may be a little bit too far gone to actually go natural. But that can always change as well. But even if I have to take two little pills for the rest of my life while, I try, while I'm trying to figure out what actually caused my high blood pressure, what actually caused my diabetes, then I'm okay with that because those are things that I can now manage. Um, the diabetes I feel I can manage a little bit more than the blood pressure just because my research has mainly focused on my diabetes. So while the blood pressure has kind of remained kind of a mystery. But if it's a precursor to diabetes, as I bring my blood sugars down or keep it to near normal levels, then of course I don't have issues with my blood pressure as much, which means they're definitely correlated with each other. So I would hope that on your own quest to better health, that you're healthy and happy and you're loving life because... Every day matters. Every day. Every day that we do something matters. What you do matters. So I'm going to switch gears here for a minute. And I'm going to encourage my audience, my listening audience, 
to do something good today. I heard an awesome term the other day, and it was something that I did that was a good deed that I didn't really think was a good deed at the time because now it just kind of comes naturally. But um, I did something that impressed the cashier who, at the store who decided that they were going to pay whatever good deed it was that I did, and I can't remember what it was, to pay it forward. And I hadn't heard that term in a long time, paying it forward. And I'm like, you know what? I think that's good. I'm like, you know what? I think you should pursue that. Definitely pay it forward. It was remarkable. I love that term, pay it forward. It's something that I've been listening to for like a decade. And it didn't gain as much popularity as I thought it would. So, um, so pay it forward. So if somebody does something good for you, pay it forward and tell them that you're going to pay it forward. So help another person out and then help another person and maybe pay it forward seven times, sevenfold for whatever good deed was done for you. Because there's not enough good in the world. And if we can actually share it together, we can make this world a better place. Okay. I know that sounds really stereotypical. And I should have actually given you an example, but the thing was, is it was spontaneous. I don't remember what it was. And the fact that good deeds just automatically flow without me even thinking about them is amazing. Because usually I have to make it a conscious effort to actually pay something forward and be, be nice and stuff. But um, I think I'm getting to that point where I don't actually have to think about the things that I'm, I'm doing anymore. And I can actually pay it forward without even realizing it. So, um, pay it forward. Somebody does something good for you, pay it forward. If you get some helpful information, pay it forward. Um, we're going to change this world. We're going to make it better. We're going to make it better on the diabetes channel. Okay. I guess that's about all that I have to say on the diabetes channel right now. Like I said, if you're having issues with your high blood pressure, go check out Dr. Eckberg on YouTube. He's a great listen. Um, it's wonderful to actually listen to his voice because he has so much to say about everything and, and how things work. And of course, uh, he, he's not really hitting on the diabetes connection there too much, but uh, it's still a, a worthy listen. So anyways, this is Margaret Copeman Frankowitz. Thank you again for returning to season two. I'm looking forward to the season and talking to you frequently. Thank you and have a great night.